Uh, I want to begin with a word of prayer again as we start this particular passage. This is the third and the third in a row of looking at Luke fourteen twenty five through thirty five. So let's just pray, Heavenly Father. I would just uh, ask you again that you would speak through your Word today to us, that you would uh, bring it to life into our ears, Lord, as we hear it. God, we pray that it would take root and grow deep. Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow it, Lord, to do its work. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm feeling kind of burdened today. For some reason, the longer I sat through and thought through this text, the less I felt like wielding it like a sword or a club and more like just placing it carefully in front of you. Does that make sense? Um, I think that it's easy sometimes for certain passages of Scripture to be held like a club and like beat people up with it. And this is one that could do that, and I don't want it to be that way. I want it to be, I want to, I want to present this to you and lay it down at your feet and say, consider, if you will, the words of our Savior, Jesus. This is what he taught, right? When he was on this earth, this is what he taught. I'm going to read the words to you again, and then we'll dig into this. Starting with verse 25, Luke 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, and saying, this this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let me break down this outline for you one more time. It's a fairly simple outline, nothing complex here. Cost one was family and life. We talked about that two weeks ago. Cost number two was suffering and death, potentially. Talked about that last week, bearing our cross. What we have left in this text is this side note, which is count the cost, considering a builder and a king example is where we're going to start. Cost number three is possessions, all that we have and renouncing those things. And then it ends with a warning. 
So let's go to verse 28, and let's listen to this example, this count the cost that Jesus gives again. I think some of you, this will sink in very well. This is a very practical example, okay? Start something, can you finish it? For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all, the, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I know I've seen situations like this before. I don't know if everybody's seen like a, a house that somebody started and it just never got finished. And you're like, what in the world? What happened? And it becomes a, a point of focus. Like, you see, oh, you've seen the house on such and such? It's like they started, it looked elaborate, never able to finish it. This is a very simple, easy to understand example. The tower that he's talking about, many times they would, a wealthy farmer might build a tower to protect his crops and his grain. That's probably what Jesus is talking about here. And the question is, does he have enough to complete it? And if not, what's the result that you see in this text? What's the result? So if, so if the person doesn't, it turns into specifically, what does it say? It starts with the letter M, mocking, right? There's a mocking element that's brought into this. So there's a ridicule towards his inability to finish. Let that not be us in the kingdom of heaven. I think we need a couple other examples. You guys want some other examples? Of, of starting, not being able to, not thinking about things beforehand. Can I make it the distance? Let's say you're throwing a party. Okay? Let's say you're throwing a party. And you've been given, given the responsibility in this party to provide all of the supplies for the party. Now, this sounds like something right up Charities Avenue. This would not be up my alley whatsoever. I don't like parties. Um, that's me. Uh, but you've been given the responsibility. So let's say this is you. You've been given this responsibility. I know some of you may feel different about it, but let's just say, just for example's sake, that this particular party, one of the main drinks was going to be wine. Now, I know you're like, ooh. Okay, let's just, just for example's sake... Let's say it's wine. How embarrassing would it be if you ran out? What, what if it was a wedding? And that was the main thing. And you ran out. No wine. And let's say all you have left to offer the guests to drink is some water, some stone jars, and Jesus. Wait a minute. This example just took a weird turn, didn't it? Whoever threw that party did not think ahead and bring enough wine, did they? But what did Jesus do? That's a bad example. Okay, I need a different one. Let's say, let's say you're at a conference and there's a speaker come to speak and it's thousands of people come to hear this speaker. But for some reason, you've decided to have this conference out in the middle of nowhere. And so these people come from, from far, long distances to hear this person speak. And you get there, and everybody, they, they listen to the whole thing. You get to the very end, and it's like it's, it's been a long, long day. But they, they have stuck it out to the end, and you're sitting there like, yeah, this is so good. But then it's such a long way back because you couldn't even drive to this particular spot. You had to walk there. And now they have to all walk back. And you're like, what have we done? We should have brought some food to provide for them. 
and you start taking account of what you've got, and you're like, we needed, we needed, we didn't think ahead and make sure we had everything we need. And then you start looking around, what do we got? What do we got here? I mean, you find finally some kids like, I got some food, and it's all he's got is five loaves of bread. There's five thousand people that came, and they've got all their families came with them too. And you're sitting there, and you're going, all we've got are five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, that's 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 dumb. That's never gonna. Okay, wait a minute. I got a problem. This example's falling apart again. I need a new example. These examples aren't working out. I was supposed to give examples of people that didn't have enough to finish it and make it all the way, and they should have thought ahead before they did things, but both of my examples so far, Jesus shows up and completes the whole thing. You guys figuring out what I'm doing here? You guys like, oh, no. Anybody, you're like, mm, Matt, I know what you're doing there. Let's say you're on the run from a government. <laughs> And you end up, I got to go Old Testament now. You're, you end up at a widow's house, right? And you're like, it's a famine. And everybody's out of food. And this widow, all she's got left is enough oil and enough flour to make one more meal. And you go, you know what? You should give it to me. <laughs> now, this example's falling apart again. I, I think if you see where I'm going and why am I sharing this, I think that in this, considering the cost or counting the cost is not meant to, meant to be, do I have enough? Do I have enough to get to the end? This is not the cowardly lion standing up and saying, if I only had the noive, right? I could do it. I just need some more courage. I just need some more. I don't think think that Jesus is ultimately saying, take stock of yourself. Consider Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. I don't think this is an opportunity just to see if you've got the gusto or the nerve or the strength or any of those things. I believe that all of that stuff comes up short. It is in him that we must depend to get to the end. So don't mishear this thing and say, I don't think I got it to make it to the end. Because if you're taking count of the cost, and all you're looking at is, do I have enough? You will come up short, will you not? Absolutely. A couple other passages I just want to read to you just to, to instill more of this thought into your hearts. Consider Peter. I, I always love reading some of Peter's letters because Peter was one of those guys that that just, if you just read through the gospel accounts, he was one of those guys that he went into things just blazing, right? And he usually didn't have what he needed to make it to the end. <laughs> I'm going to walk on the water. Oh, he's sinking. You know, I'm going to, oh, you know, I'll, I'll cut off everybody's ears. And then he's like, I don't know Jesus. <laughs> but, but, but you see him learning through those things and beginning to understand that what he needed wasn't in himself. It was in his Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has 
caused us to be born again. Let that cook your noodle for a minute. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. By God's divine power, he's going to bring this to completion. That's awesome. He says it again in 2 Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted us to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of a sinful desire. So let me say this. This is not a call to see if you are bringing to the table all that you need to finish this. But it is a call to see if you're willing to give up all for his sake. That cost is still there. Are you willing to give up all for his sake? This tower is going to cost you all. You don't have the funds, but it will take everything from you to get to it. Does that make sense? Verse 33, therefore, Jesus says, any one of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Disciples are ones who renounce all. They don't hold anything. They don't cling to anything in this life. There's nothing that they wouldn't say, Jesus, you can have that too. And hence, I say this again, not with a club, but I lay it down at your feet because let's get real, the cost feels huge sometimes. The cost feels costly and takes everything from you. And if you do not renounce all, you cannot be his disciple. If you are in it for what you're going to get here and now, you're not a disciple. On the one hand, directly related to this, people who tend to not want to renounce all, on the one hand, you have some who end up like the Pharisees. Let me give you an example here. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. There's no cost to them about laying out God's law. To be even more specific, there's a criticism that many times happens towards the side, to use an example from this week, Tuesday, the side that stands for life and, and claims, no, this is God's, this is what's true, this is what's right. If you're going to tell, though, a pregnant mother to carry her child to term, you ought also to be willing to say, and you can live in my home as long as you need to. And if you do not want this baby, either myself or someone else will adopt this child into our home and love them as our very own child. That needs to be there. I think it's there a lot more than the other side wants to recognize. But that absolutely needs to be a part of that. You ought not to lay heavy burdens on people and not be willing to lift a finger to help. Does that make sense? 
those who do this but are unwilling to pay the price make a mockery of the entire kingdom. On the other hand, we pull these things together, losing family and life, possessions and everything that goes in it. Those who are claiming Christ but refusing to repent of their sin, to, to release the things that they just want, are also making a mockery of the kingdom. I'm going to read from Peter again. Listen to this. This one is after he's talking about some false teachers. He says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. But they themselves are slaves to corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Stated more clearly in Hebrews 6, and this is a passage that some of you are going to hear and go, what in the world? But just let the words sink in. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt, shame, a mockery. Are you willing to renounce all to follow after this Jesus? It will cost you all, but you get all in the end. I think we may need to come at this from a different angle, and I think that's exactly what Jesus does with this next example. The first example was a, a builder. Now he's going to look at a king. And this is going to flip it on your head a little bit. It may, it may not be saying what you thought it was saying. I know for me I can say that. It wasn't saying what I thought it was saying. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Do you, do, you, do you sense the similarity between this one and the last one? Can you feel the similarity? You got what it takes to get to the end, right? I'm going to listen. I'm going to read to you a couple commentaries that, frankly, oh, my, I read them and my eyes went, oh, I was missing it. I love that when that happens. I don't mind that at all. I'm like, I love it when somebody smarter than me puts something in paper and I go, oh, I missed that. Daryl Bach put it this way. He said, the first picture is coming to Jesus. The second deals with following after him. First, consider what discipleship will cost. Second, consider what refusing the more powerful one will mean. Can you enter battle against him? In short, consider the cost of entering the benefits of allying with the one who carries the power. If you go, I don't, I'm not picking up what he's laying down. Uh, let me read the next one to you and I think you'll get it. The two parables are similar, but they make slightly different points. The builder of the tower is free to build or not as he chooses, but the king is being invaded. The other comes against him. He must do something. And then this commentator quotes a different commentator who says this. 
in the first parable, Jesus says, sit down and reckon whether you can afford to follow me. In the second, he says, sit down and reckon whether you can afford to refuse my demands. Both ways of looking at it are important. And maybe this is the real question that some of us need to ask today. Can you afford to refuse this Jesus? How long can you hold out against this Jesus? You know he's calling for a giving up of all things. And you're holding on to a few things left with white knuckles clenched tight, gritted teeth. You can have all that, God, but you can't have. I'll follow you if you give me. (sighs) You may have sensed this earlier when you felt that this call of Jesus seems a bit demanding. Maybe earlier when I was talking about that, you're like, man, that's hard. There's some things that I mean, I'm really all renouncing all. It seems a bit demanding. Really, Jesus, is that what you're going to do? But you know and he knows you're still holding out. And the question you need to ask is, can you afford to refuse? Ask yourself right now, what are you holding on to? Is there anything? Is there anything that you're sitting there? I'm, I'm, you, know, you know what's amazing about that? I don't have to lift off a bunch of examples. I can sit up here and I can say, what are you holding on to? And some of you, in that moment, you felt the Spirit of God prompt you with the blank. Like I said, if you just give me, and I didn't say anything, but almost as if it was an audible voice, you heard God go, boom, fill in the blank. Now, let me just ask you. I'm just curious. This is just curiosity. I am genuinely curious right now. This is not in my notes. I wasn't going to ask this. I'm genuinely curious right now. How many of you, when I said that, were like, something popped in your head? Anybody? Oh, don't spill your drink over it. It's okay. (laughs) Um, Did you see that? This thing here. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm good with you taking a minute. Maybe you know to really follow Jesus is going to be a loss of a certain freedom that you really like. Right? Maybe you know it's a loss of self, something that you consider important about who you are as a person. But you know, if I do, really do that, I know, like I know he's telling me right now, Jesus is telling me, if I really all in, if I'm all in, that part's got to die. Maybe these things are becoming more clear as you're sitting here. Maybe it's fear. If I do go on, what, maybe he will do that. Maybe he will take that. Maybe he will press that. But do not fear. Our Savior tells us, truly I say to you, there is no one 
no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life do you trust him do you trust Jesus that when he makes this promise he will see it to completion one way that this is fulfilled is that my house is your house now right Whatever we face, we will face as brothers and sisters in Christ together. We are his body, his church, his people. We must be the sort of people that say as we go all in, that opens us up to all things. So many passages that talk about loving one another, caring for one another, talking specifically about us as his body. Loving one another, caring for one another. Do you trust him to do this? Anyone who does not renounce individual ownership of my things. I, I, I can, I, I'm willing to share this, 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 but this is precious to me. This thing here. If you're not willing to say, Lord, you, you, can, you can work your way into every avenue. There's not one thing left that I, I will not say, God, you can stake your claim in my life. Whatever the cost. And those who are not willing to do that, Jesus says, and I don't think with a club, but at, their, at your feet, this is what discipleship looks like. Remember, who's he talking to when he says this? There's a huge crowd following him. They're loving what he's bringing to the table. And he stops and he says, here's something that's very important for you to hear. And I'm okay with you taking some time thinking it through. Are you re really willing? Is there something that you're holding on to that you go, he can have anything but that? That ought to be set up upon the altar and say, Lord, even if it's that, even if it's that thing there, you can have that too. Because I trust you, I believe in you, and I know that anything I've given, you will restore to me a hundredfold, not just then, but now as well. I'm going to end with a warning, because Jesus ends with a warning. He says this, salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Now, salt can't really lose its saltiness. Salt is a mineral. People know that. There's, and so there's all kinds of questions about what was Jesus talking about when he said this. Here's what I believe Jesus was saying. In Jesus' day, in that time period, at that place where he was at, quite often the salt that they had was full of impurities. And so over time, and usually because of moisture, the salt itself would seep out and you'd have what's left would look like salt, but it wasn't. It was almost, it was basically what we would think of as chalk. 
okay? So this was a, something real to them. They would see this happening. There was all kinds of interesting other you know, perspectives about that, what could be taken here. Well, oh, maybe he meant this, maybe he meant this. But I think the, the, sometimes the, the most straightforward is the way to go. I think that in those days, that's exactly what they would have seen. They would have seen salt, and the, people would have known this experience. I had some salt, maybe some water had gotten to it, maybe over time it had, that, that had evaporated out of it, some moisture had gotten in there, and what they had left was basically chalk, and they're like, well, this isn't good for anything. I can't put it in the field. I, I guess, I was looking at this this week, I was like, salt as a fertilizer? Can you put it on your field? And, it, and there's actually some basis to that. I learned, and see, I'm going to do this, because it said, put it with your tomato plants, sea salt with your tomato plants, and your tomatoes will taste even sweeter. Okay, I just got off track. Um, I love a good tomato, though. Um, but the salt that's lost its saltiness isn't good for anything. Can't put it on, you can't do it here. It's not even good, Jesus says, for the poop pile. Right? That's what he said. He said, it's not even good for that. Well, that's not good at all. I mean, you'd think anything would be good for that. You know, I mean, the, the flies are not picky with that stuff. I mean, they're just whatever. And he's like, it's not even good for that. And so what's the warning? What is Jesus saying? I think just from other texts where Jesus talks about us being a salt and a light, there's aspects of salt that bring benefit and good to this world. And if you are not doing that for his kingdom Basically, he's just saying you're worthless for the kingdom. The connection here between what he's saying is that a disciple will not be that. Someone who's willing to renounce all he has will not be worthless for the kingdom. I mean, there's a whole lot of things we could list out and we say, man, I want this, I want this. Oh, oh man. Anybody ever, everybody, don't raise your hand at this. If you ever go through... And you're just like, I, need, I got some goals, right? If I could accomplish this, if I could get this done. Get, and, it, there's, and, and Jesus is telling you through his teaching that there are people who are valuable to the kingdom of heaven, and there are people who are not. Do you hear his warning? I hope that you hear that warning and heed that warning and say, you know what? Above all other things, whatever goes on in this life, whatever time I've been allotted, the days that I've been given, my hope, my desire is that when I stand before King Jesus, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. What I gave you to do, you did. What I gave you to do, you did. Enter into your rest. That, you can list every accomplishment you've ever had in this life, but if you don't get that, what worth, what good is it? Is there any at all? Is there anything at all? Everything you have in this life is going away. Everything you have in this life will, at one point, as the Apostle Peter says, will be dissolved. What will be left? And Jesus gives us a pointer. Be my disciple. Follow after me. Renounce all that you have. Come follow me. Does that make sense? That's what's laid out before us. I'm going to take this time now. I'm going to have my ushers come up. Paul, go to the piano. I'm going to pray 
over this bread and this cup. As you guys know, we do this every week. As you guys know, this bread and this cup represents the body and blood of Christ. Because our Savior, our Master, our Lord and Teacher, when he talks about this giving of all, even though he was all and he was God and he created all things, is it not awesome that he also then demonstrated a giving of all for your sake, for your salvation? He gave his life. Is that not awesome? That he says, I'm, I mean, have you ever had a boss that, that would say, okay, you got to lay out all these hard jobs to do, but then doesn't lift a finger to help? You, what do you think about that kind of boss? You take the job and shove it, right? Our Savior went the distance to the cross before he says, come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this bread and for this cup. God, I ask for your blessing on it. I pray that you bless those today that are here. Lord, those that as this comes around, those that reach out that hand and grab this, Lord, I pray that before they do, and even after they do, and while they're holding it, God, I ask that you'd help them to count the cost. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that's left, that they go, I can't get rid of that. Lord, I pray that today would be the day where they go, no, Lord, you can have that. You can have it all. Help us not to rely on our own gusto or strength or nerve or courage to lay those things on the altar. Let us do those things and lay those things up on the altar in faith that you will carry us through. That you will, as we sang earlier, hold us fast. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of submission on our part as your followers, as your disciples, as Christians to follow after you and be ready and willing to renounce all that we have, to love you above all other things. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
In the Old Testament, um, there's a story of three young men who are threatened. If you don't bow down to what everybody in our culture is bowing down to, we will throw you into this fiery furnace. And you probably know that story. If you didn't learn it in Sunday school as a child, God does rescue them from that, these three individuals. But what they say before is, I think, one of the important things that we ought to say as we're ready to partake in this. They look at the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, God can save us from this. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Right? Those things that you have that you go, Lord, I, I, I mean, whatever it is that you long for and crave for, God is able. It's not a question of ability. God is able to, to do anything. But as a follower of him, at some point we have to say, Lord, even if you don't, give me that. For some of you, it's a person. And you just want them to know who Jesus is so that they'll go to heaven. That's, that's like everything to you. At some point, you have to say, Lord, I know you can. I know you can do it. Even if you don't, I will not bow down to any, any other one but to you. Our Lord and Savior, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, told his disciples, the same disciples that he had told, it's going to cost you everything. He took that bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. I'm going to give my all to you, my body. To save you. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way also after supper he took the cup saying. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death, until he comes. Heavenly Father, as we close today, I ask now again for your blessing on your people. Lord, I know there are some in this room that have already come to that place in their life where they've said, Lord, we know you can give us this or do this for us. We know that you can, but even if you don't, Lord, we won't, we won't bow down. Lord, on their behalf, I want to ask again. Lord, they, they won't turn away. But Lord, I pray that you'd hear their prayers and hear their requests and answer. Lord, we're asking as your children in humble submission, trusting your answer regardless of what it may be. And so Lord, we lay these things on your altar But Lord, like Abraham, we're hoping that you will intervene.
I ask these things now in the name of Jesus, who is our Savior, our Lord, our Master, our Teacher, who gave all on the cross, who gave his body to be crucified and shed his own blood for our sake. In his name we pray these things. Amen.